you looked at your worship bulletin and you saw assisting in worship today with Senior Pastor Chip Miller and Assistant Pastor John Kinzer, I am neither one of those. Uh, that was John, and Chip is homesick. Uh, he did, the weather didn't stop him from coming this morning, but another uh, dangerous epidemic going through the South is this stomach bug that many of you and my, my family have had as well, so maybe I'll help you to think about praying for him as you think about him this morning. Um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 2. It's where we'll be this morning. When I was a college student, I came to a missions conference. I can't remember if it was my junior or senior year that Dr. Harry Reeder was preaching at. And I don't remember what the sermon was about, but I do remember his opening illustration that stuck with me over the years. Uh, and it goes like this. He said that there's a story about a a man that just had a terrible day at work. Um, you know, it was one of those days where he just wanted to get home, uh, change clothes, eat some supper, and, and get in his recliner and just, just veg the rest of the evening. Um, if he could just make it home. So he hopped on a subway car, and he was the only one there, thank goodness. But right as the doors were about to close, a, a father and uh, two rambunctious kids jumped on the same car, subway car, as he was on. And he said that, he uh, scooted to the other, other end of the car, but these kids were just crazy. They were just rambunctious. They were all over the place, hitting and screaming and kicking and fighting and, and yelling. And he, uh, he finally just had enough. And he looked over at the dad who was just in some sort of a daze, uh, standing by, not doing anything. And he said, sir, sir, can you, can you please get hold of your kids? Uh, and the, he said the father kind of woke up from what looked like a daydream and gathered his, his children to him and calmed them down and, he said, I'm, I'm so sorry. And at this point, the man was feeling a little bit bad, a little bit guilty. So he said, well, well, thank you. Thank you for getting control of them. Just had a bad day. And the father looked up at him and said, I'm, I'm so sorry. Um, we just came from the hospital where my wife, uh, their mother, passed away from a battle of cancer. Uh, what changed in that situation? Facts were the same. Kids were still being rambunctious and crazy and irritating the man. What changed was his knowledge of uh, the deeper circumstances, what was going on behind the actions, and what changed was his perspective of the situation, going from someone who was annoyed and, and frustrated to all of a sudden someone that was moved to compassion for someone else that was undergoing something very, very difficult to, to figure out. Um, this morning in Psalm 2, we get not just two different perspectives of the same situation. We get three. The psalmist is talking to us about the rule of God. And he gives us uh, some behind-the-scenes knowledge. He tells us what one group sees and what another group sees and what another group sees. And as we, we start to see more of the picture, we get more of an idea of what this rule of God is supposed to be like and what it's supposed to look like and may even be convicted about how we've been approaching God's rule in our own lives. So let's look at it together. Let me read for us Psalm 2, and then we'll jump in. Why do the nations rage, and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have 
set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way, for His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, would you come and illumine the Word of God to us this morning. Give us eyes to see what you'd have us to see. Convict us of sin and encourage us to follow hard after you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Different perspectives. Uh, The first one we come into contact with in this passage is in verses 1 through 3. We see the rule of God through the eyes of a rebel. Through the eyes of a rebel. Read it again with me. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The passage starts off with the question, why? And it sets the tone of of a sense of astonishment at the rejection of God's rule and his ruler. Um, These kings have set themselves against God and his anointed, and they are plotting together against them. And the word plot is the same word that's used in in chapter 1 of meditating. Meditating there on the law of God. It's rolling these things around in your head and your heart, kind of bathing in them until they, they cause action. Well, here is the opposite side of things. It's these kings rolling these thoughts, these hateful, these resentful thoughts about God and His anointed around in their hearts and heads until it leads them to action. And you see that in verse 3. You know, they, they thought about it, they, they stewed on it so long that they, it manifests itself by them saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their, away their cords from us. Rebels see the rule of God and His anointed in much different terms than those who are loyal to Him. The picture is of a, of a child who is rebelling against his father and a loving father coming and putting his, his arms of, of embrace around this rebellious child and of the child just throwing him off. Um, shunning the love, the rule of his father. Uh, if you saw the movie, the Remember the Titans, uh, you remember, it reminded me a lot of, of, of my high school uh, uh, football days, um, but at the beginning of the movie, uh, there's this new coach that comes in. There's a lot of turmoil going on in the community, a lot of circumstances that, that cause this new coach to come in and to play into it. But he is hardcore, and he is going to whip these boys into shape and make them a winning football team. The problem is nobody, including many of the coaches, want to follow his rule. Um, life, the team hates him. Some of the team quits. Uh, His life seems miserable, all because the team and the coaches are seeing his rule through the eyes of a rebel. They're kicking against what would make them into winners. God doesn't do three-a-days and take us through football camp. Uh, The scriptures actually say his burden is easy, his load is light, unless 
we're a rebel. Unless we're seeking to live life on our own terms and, and go through things in our own way, then, he says, you will be like these men, these kings, um, and things will be hard. The second perspective we see is, is the opposite side. It's through the eyes of, of God himself. He says, it says, He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. It becomes plain that although at first glance you, you, you see and you think of the Lord as laughing and you think of it in our terms when someone laughs at a hard situation we think of them as insensitive or prideful there's much more going on here than, than that we know that's not true of the Lord it, as you read on you see that this laughing is, is, is not really a laughing matter it's, uh, it's, it's going to cost and cause suffering in the end the, the sense of it is, is kind of a laughing in astonishment um, a laughing in, in some sort of disgust that, that this, this sin is not just distasteful to the Lord, but it's, it's absurd. It doesn't make any sense. Why would you, you go your own way instead of following the good king? Um, and, and he says in verse 6, an emphatic, hey, listen up. Um, I have done this. I've set my king on my holy hill um, you can go your own way if you want to, but this is what I'm doing. This is my rule. This is what I've set up. Have you ever, maybe think about it this way will help, have you ever made a judgment or taken an action based on information that you had, only to find that when you're given all of the information, what you did was actually pretty ludicrous? I've got a friend that, um, uh, he's a, the kind of guy that stories just follow him wherever he goes. Um, he just lives one of those lives that, that needs to be in a book somewhere. And uh, we were, a few of us were following up with him after college. We'd been out of college for a few years, and he came back to, to Macon, and we were, were going to visit with him. And sure enough, on the way to visit us, he had another story. Um, he had been uh, coming down I-75, and there was some sort of an accident or road work or something where cars were backed up for, for what seemed to be miles and uh, so he and the rest of most of the people were waiting in this traffic. And some people were just zooming past him in the other lane, you know, going up to the, the front and, and, you know, to get, get in line. And while everybody else was waiting, and he said after you know, a few minutes, he just had enough of these people not you know, waiting in line like the rest of them. So he pulls his car out of that lane and gets in the other lane and just stops up next to the car in front of him and then just eases inches forward with the people in the other lane um, and blocks up traffic, you know, behind them so nobody can zoom around him. Well, it, it all seemed right and good until he got up to where the accident was and realized that the lane he'd been blocking for the last hour in traffic was the lane that was actually open for people to, to get through and, and go through and would have sped up traffic if he'd have gotten out of the way an hour back um, but ended up causing all kind of additional delays. Um, he saw with the new information that what he'd done was was ludicrous. It was absurd. That's the picture here of how the Lord views our rebellion and sin. It's like, no, it doesn't make any sense. What you're doing is not only harmful to you, it's ridiculous. Follow my rule. Don't set yourself up um, as opposed to me. It's a much deeper, severe level here, but it's still the same. Um, the third perspective is through the eyes of the king, God's anointed, it says in verse 7, I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. 
Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Here's the centerpiece of the psalm where the ruler that God has set up, king of Israel, is, is saying, um, God is the ruler. But he set me up, he set us up as his rulers in small to take his righteous rule to the ends of the earth. In the Old Testament, it was the nation, the king of Israel, who were God's anointed and appointed to be a mission to the rest of the world to say, hey, look what it looks like to live under God's rule. Look at us and then respond. You can live like this too. In the New Testament, it it flips it on its head and, and Jesus says, go out, take my rule to the ends of the earth. Don't just bring them to where you are. You go out to them and tell them about what it's like to live under my rule. This rod that you see in verse 9 is actually, that idea of break really carries with it the idea of shepherding and ruling. The idea there is like a shepherd uses shepherd's crook to sort out the flock and, and as a weapon against uh, things and people that would, would take or hurt his sheep. So he says, you, you, my ruler, are to lead that way, to take care, to, to spread my rule in a way uh, that honors me. It's a symbol of government. And in this text is, is, is a, like a scepter of a king, a ruler in short. Um, one of my favorite books that I, I read a long time ago was, was Lord of the Rings trilogy. It took me a long time to read it, and I've only read it once. Um, but the last part of that, the last story in that book is uh, The Return of the King. And in there, there's a scene where there's a steward that's been set up in absence of the, the true king, uh, they're supposed to take care of things until he comes back, until the true king comes back. And finally, after years and years, the rightful heir of the throne is coming. And a, a delegation goes to tell the steward, hey, the king is coming. It's time to hand over authority. The problem is that steward has set things up and has grabbed hold of the reins so tightly, he wants to rule the things like he wants to rule them. Even though he's supposed to be a steward of someone else's authority and rule, when the actual ruler comes, he's not willing to let go, and there's a, a, a skirmish that, that ensues. So that's the picture of us sometimes. We look back in Genesis and we see we were given the responsibility to rule as God's uh, vice regents, as his rulers, with his authority to take his glory, his rule to the ends of the earth. Now, what happens? Well, we mess it up. We're sinners. We rule not most of the time in righteous ways, but in ways that serve ourselves, uh, that corrupt God's right rule instead of expand it. Um, Even the king here, the kings of Israel, we look at their history and it's, it's hard to read almost sometimes. Those that were set up to be an example of how God's rule should be end up taking and corrupting his rule. But that's where the hope comes in this passage because this psalm actually points to the righteous ruler who was our king jesus who came and who set up and inaugurated his kingdom and is coming back one day to complete the work that he started now that rule looks different than than earthly rule it's not a kingdom that's taken by force and coercion a military might but it's one that spreads uh, that there's invitation but there's a time where he will come back and set up his rule in rule in full. And that's what leads to the last few verses of the psalm. There's a gracious call at the end. After the psalmist shows all of these perspectives, 
He says, Now therefore, kings, be wise. Be warned, rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. It comes all the way around. Not to, hey, do this because if not, I'm going to kill you. But, hey, here's an invitation. I've got every right to demand this of you, but I'm calling you to come to the rightful ruler on your own terms and willingly submit to his rule. If not, there's a time coming when his wrath will be shown and justice will be served. And if you're on the wrong side, if you're a rebel, it's not going to be good. But now, while the time is right, he says, come submit to the rule of the righteous, good king. Derek Kidner says this about the last verse. He says, What fear and pride interpret as bondage is in fact security and bliss. There's no refuge from him, only in him. And that's the appeal of that last verse. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. He's saying, come, submit your life to the rule of the gracious good king. What does this mean for us today? What kind of applications can we draw? Well, first is this. Jesus Christ is our king and victor. We think of Jesus as our sacrifice a lot of times. We think of him as, um, as, as our substitute. We think of him in all sorts of very truthful and helpful ways that we should think about. But not often do we think of him as our, our king, our victor. And that should cause us to, to hope that we've got a king who is, is powerful, who's strong, who started, inaugurated his kingdom, and is coming back to finish the work that he's completed. Secondly, he rules us. We should trust and obey his cords of compassion. Not like the rebellious child throw, throw him off, or the rebellious kings plot in vain against him. We shouldn't trust our assumption of things when we don't have all the information at hand. But trust his righteous rule in our life. And then the third thing is that we are his ambassadors. And that is a powerful and privileged, but also a scary position. Because we are called, as his ambassadors, to go into the world and to call people to submit to his rule. Not based on our own authority. Not, not holding and doing things the way we want to do them. But based on his authority. Based on his call. To say, hey, come while you still can. Come submit your life willingly to his rule. We come to the Lord's table this morning and we have an opportunity to, to do that, to reaffirm our submission to follow after his kingly rule. And maybe for some of us it may be a time for us to, to deal with some ways that we've not been submitting to his rule, to confess those and to come, uh, be cleansed of that and to renew our desire uh, to follow King Jesus. For others, you may... You may not know what you think about this rule of Jesus. You may still be trying to figure it out. Um, if that's the case, then this table is, is, is not for you. You don't, you don't need to take this. You need to take Jesus this morning. And I would encourage you, I would, I would plead with you to do that. I would love, and many sitting here would love to talk to you about how to make that right, to submit your life to the rule of Jesus, to have a right relationship with him this morning. Let me pray, and then we'll prepare for the table. God, thank you that you rule, and thank you that you're a righteous ruler. Forgive us when we have identified more as 
the kings who plotted in vain against you, wanting to, to take things on our own terms to go our own way, cleanse us because of what Jesus has done, because you, King Jesus, have taken the punishment that we deserve, given us your righteous life, and called us anew to follow a heart after you. We pray that we would respond to that this morning um, and to be renewed. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. You'll see in your bulletins a communion hymn printed. And I invite you now to, to stand together as we sing this. Mm-hmm.